At Your Valuable Home, we're happy to announce that our audience grew substantially in the first half of 2023. Many of our new listeners, as well as some of our loyal listeners, may not have heard some listener favorites from 2022, so we're going to re-release four 2022 listener favorites on four consecutive Fridays. All four of these podcasts have our well-known home improvement replays and home improvement horror stories. In the feature of our podcast, we interviewed Jessica Laus from the National Association of Realtors about which home improvements bring the best return on investment. Take a listen. Something that I found was so interesting when we looked at this during COVID is that I think people had a little extra money to spend and we're all stuck at home, right? So we're not spending it on sporting events or going to the movies or anything like that. So tackling home projects went really high on a lot of people's lists. And something that we found from NARI members is that a lot of people said, I actually want to do a bigger scale project because I have the money to right now. Or they turned to a different room in their house and said, well, I just tackled the kitchen. What about the bathroom? And let me take that on. We found that 60% of NARI members were saying that people turned to a new room and said, you know what? I want to take this one on too. So I think that's really pretty interesting is that consumers were ready to do it and ready to take on that second project. And then on Friday, July 21, Scott Abernathy, good friend of Your Valuable Home, past president of the National Association of Residential Property Managers and he has his own property management firm called PMI Professionals in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He comes and talks about the state of the market for residential properties. Vital information for anyone who has or is considering acquiring residential rental property. We're seeing some things settle down a little bit. Uh, the interest rates hikes that happened earlier this year, you know, where the Fed bumped up you know, interest rates about 75 basis points, but our long-term rates for like mortgages and stuff went up two and a half percent just overnight. That had a big impact on the real estate industry in general, slowing a lot of things down, everything from new construction to uh, resales. But some of it needed to be slowed down. As far as rentals go, though, they are still on fire. A lot of these people that were unable to qualify now because of that two and a half percent bump up in interest rates are now renting houses or continuing to rent. So therefore, the occupancy levels are super high and rents have really gone up. They've gone up a lot. And this is across the board, across the nation, but especially in the hot markets. Then on Friday, August 4th, comes a highly listened to podcast featuring Mark Ferber from the Bucks County DA's office in PA. Mark tips us off on contractor scams you need to be aware of. Well, you know, it's gotten much better. I mean, we try to educate folks out there, but certainly seniors are targeted quite a bit for a couple of reasons. They're home and the technology is new. So yeah, certainly seniors have been targeted and the apprehensiveness with technology, which I have too, I understand, makes it scary for folks. And that's why scams like the computer repair scam works so well with seniors because of our lack of ability to kind of of navigate through that stuff so they do take advantage and in the last of our four 2022 re-releases on august 11 dr stephen phillips a renowned authority on lyme disease has critical information for any listener who loves spending time outdoors the data for chronic lyme is so powerful at this point that it's almost ridiculous when doctors claim that there's no such thing as chronic lyme you know i would counter it and say that they're claiming that there's no such thing as chronic lyme despite overwhelming evidence rather than i'm claiming that there is chronic lyme i'm not claiming anything it's it's really based on the literature. The medical literature is solid. It's not subject to dispute, but yet it is disputed. And the fact that this controversy keeps going on when, like I said, we find it from all these animal studies, we find it alive from humans, we can't kill it in the test tube. The maraschino cherry on top of everything was when the NIH did a study 
where they took these ticks. They grew up in the laboratory not to have Lyme, so they're completely pathogen-free ticks. They put them on people with, they call it post-Lyme syndrome, where people still have chronic symptoms of Lyme. But they put these ticks on these people with, quote, post-Lyme syndrome, and the ticks got infected from people's blood. So the ticks are better at isolating Lyme bacteria than we are because we've been doing it for millions of years and we've only been doing it since 1981 called xenodiagnosis. So putting a clean tick on a person with persistent symptoms of Lyme where they couldn't isolate the bacteria from these people, well sure enough the ticks can do it. And coming up in August through September, you want to hear the series we're planning for you right now. How will power America going forward? One or more of the energy sources we'll be talking about with the experts will most likely impact you, possibly your entire community. This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Hey, Kev, we, what do we got for a replay today? Tell this you is what, a, a Jersey Shore story, right? Yeah, yeah, the, okay. it's, it's going to be a great show. We've got a lot of great information. We have a replay of a gentleman who's going to be building a house on the Jersey Shore, mm-hmm. which is it's hot right now. A lot of people are buying down the shore, which is anywhere from Cape May up to Margate. They're ripping the buildings down. They're completely gutting them, taking them down to this foundation. That would be Oregon. southern New Jersey, correct? Yes, yeah, southern yeah, okay. New Jersey, and uh, they're, they're redoing it. So we have somebody on who's actually doing that. And he's living in Stone Harbor now, and uh, it's going to be building in Stone Harbor. So, Don, thanks for coming on Your Valuable Home and talking about your projects. Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. So you have a property right now in Stone Harbor, is that correct? Yes, we do. And what made you decide to build somewhere else in Stone Harbor? Well, it's been a long-term goal of the family to uh, have a Bayfront house in Stone Harbor. We rented Bayfront houses for many, 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 many years, and it's it's something that uh, we've always wanted to do. Now, your house, I guess you're not on the bay now, correct? Correct. This house, though, you started building maybe last year, I think, one of the pictures that I've seen? The house started, yeah, it was probably about nine, ten months ago that the uh, house was started. Now, why don't you walk us through the, some of the requirements in the building this new house? What were your expectations of the builder? We started looking late in the fall for a bay house. Unfortunately, what we found was is that there was only at that time less there was less than a dozen total homes available and only a couple bay houses available. We contacted a real estate person who we worked with to buy our existing home 
And fortunately, about four or five months into the process, the builder said they would consider selling this house that the builder was building. But, you know, they had requirements and and we actually jumped in about 50 percent into the build. Was it was it a lot or was it a teardown? Um, No, the builder had bought the lot, tore down the house and was in the process of building a spec home. Okay, I don't know much about Stone Harbor, but if you build a bay house in Stone Harbor, is it a more sheltered area when bad storms come through than the ocean ocean side? Yes. Um, um, There's actually there's actually a bay on the other side of the row of houses by us. So it's very sheltered. That's good. It's good stuff. Yeah, most of the building requirements down in Jersey, because you're at the shore, whether where his house is or the beach itself, you're only talking about, uh, what, half a mile between your house to the beach now with the new house in total? Um, yeah, if, yeah, if that. I mean, so uh, there's three blocks. Um, there, it's three blocks between uh, where the house is and where the beach is. Yeah, so the restrictions of uh, building code down there is that everything's got to be built the same. It's got to be, it's, it's more of a structural down there than, say, if you're building somewhere. High impact glass, the whole thing? No, see, Jersey, they don't have the issues of wind. All the damage over the past 30 years have been because of water. Water. Sandy was complete water damage. Water it wasn't damage, anything yeah. to do with wind. We got 70 miles an hour. Any glass can hold that. It's when you get to the 100 miles an hour, a lot more debris is going to be flying off homes. And that's what they're worried about, that impact. Because once that window breaks, the imploding of a house is a lot easier than the wind pushing yeah, on the like house. it's like a vacuum. It sucks everything out of the house. Correct. Know? It mm-hmm. just knocks the walls down a lot easier. So that was one of the uh, restrictions when I did my house. The inspector said, now we don't require it because of the uh, the storms that we have here aren't as severe. It's more water damage. And it, as Sandy showed, it, it, it's ugly teeth that it, it could do some damage. The size of the house, uh, was there any specific requirements that you were looking for to accommodate? Because most of the people that are buying there are, are trying to do like an upgrade. They're trying to get a little more modern look. They're, they're looking for a little bit more bedrooms. Uh, what's some of the requirements that you were looking for when you bought that house? Well, one of the things that was important to us was the builder and the reputation of the builder. That was very important to us. So we found a builder that has great reviews and has a very good reputation. And also somebody that lives down there and seems to understand the the vibe of the southern Jersey Shore. Got it. Now, the on the bay, you're going to have a dock on the bay also? Yes, there's a dock on the bay. But there, there's new rules with that in terms of the width and everything with the dock. So we were limited in our options. From the original house, before the builder tore down, was there an existing dock there, or they had to upgrade it because of the new restrictions? It had to be a completely new dock. How about the bulkhead? Usually bulkheads on the water. Is that uh, another cost factor that was incurred into the price of the house? Yeah. So, it's again, they had to completely upgrade the bulkhead, and the bulkhead is completely new. So that's that's a big big expense right there, isn't it? A big expense and also um, um, very time-consuming. Mm-hmm. I would imagine so. What's the projection of the ETA that has to be completed? Uh, we're hoping that it's going to be done um, October 1st. Oh, oh so you're well underway at this point. Yes. So does it look like where the builder's at now is going to pretty much be on schedule? We think so. They're just finishing the bulkhead. They're putting in the trim, and some of the cabinets have, have arrived in the interior. And the exterior is pretty much done. So we, we think it's a, a good possibility that it can be done in that time frame. Yeah, supply chain issues have been a little bit difficult on all the contractors nationwide just getting supplies. Because it's been so great with the economy on, on home building that people thought that uh, you can just get something get done quickly, but you can't get product in time. It doesn't happen that way, yeah. That, at least that's good. At least we're going to be building on time. Because it's an expectation when homeowners 
think the contractor is going to be in on time. And if they are done on time, it, it really is a big bonus. It's a lot less stress on the homeowners because now they know what they're paying for. They're going to be getting and it on time is a big, big bonus. So at this point, you probably have all the materials you need ordered already, right? Yes. All the materials needed are on order. And uh, I haven't heard of any delays as of right now. You see, you bought this where it was already under construction. Did you have any options on picking any certain colors of flooring uh, through this process? We did have a few options, and uh, so we, we, we did take advantage of those and, and added some touches that uh, were important to us. Which were? A bar? Extended the drive. Well, <laughs> we, we, do, we, we do have an outside cabana with a bar, yes. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so, like, the kitchen options, you had to pick color cabinets. Did you get at least have that? We had some limited options there. We had some limited options in the pantry. We had some options on the outside. And we changed some things around with the driveway to support some more vehicles and, you know, added uh, some things with the uh, outside shower. We're pretty excited with what it's going to turn out to be. Yeah, we talk about the driveway. It's, now that makes it impervious. Surface sometimes gets to be a little bit tough because parking down there, I'm sure, is at a premium. How much more space did the uh, the township allow you to go with in the driveway to take more parking spots? One, two, three cars extra. Um, well, it was it was about one car extra, and we had enough coverage for that to be fine. Okay, what's the width of the lot? So it's a pretty big lot, lot then. It, it it is a nice sized lot. The width of the lot is 110 feet. That's big lot for down there. Right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's special in the bay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because always, always finding parking is the most difficult thing down there. And if people don't have that parking, I tell you, it's like you have a big house. Well, this with- is Stone Harbor. Parking's tough in uh, Ocean City, too. Parking's tough down the shore. Anywhere down the shore. shore. Yeah. Yeah, especially yeah. during holidays. You're not, mm-hmm. it's, getting over the bridge is going to be tough. But, uh, yeah, parking's like a, it's like a premium in any, any parking city, anywhere you go. Parking is that important. But yeah, sometimes sure. when people ask for that, uh, when they're doing houses with us, I tell them, well, it's the impervious surface. They go back to the builder. The builder goes back to the township building. So you don't have the, the coverage needed. So we're not going to allow you to do it. So there's other, I mean, there's different ways to get around it, but that is one of the problems that people do uh, complaining about when, when they're going for the impervious surface coverage. And once it gets over, uh, then you're, you're in a, you're in a bind. That's what it is. Now with the, the exteriors of the house, it's all done. You're looking more modern. Is it contemporary? Is it more beachy? What was one of the looks that was already chosen then for the house that you liked? It's a white, like shiplap siding with uh, black, accents around the windows and it, it so it, it has kind of a a new modern beach look is the best way i would describe it it seems like some more homes are going up in in that area that they kind of have that that modern beach look i'll tell you that's a look that's a look it's very popular uh where we live too in bucks county the white yeah. the white uh with black mm-hmm. window frames it's all over the place now looks really cool yeah, a lot of the people that so down the shore, they years ago they started putting that the glass as a fence rail, like a deck rail. But the problem is it's so salty and the the moistness down there that it just covers the glass in salt. Mm-hmm. That they've been going to this new modern look called the cable rail system. Is that something you're doing for any of your decks, the cables? Yes, it is. That's that is the uh, what the deck is going to be. You don't have to worry about that getting all salty and everything. Right? No, it's just yeah. it'll rust out and. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 years but you get plenty of life out of it but it's, it's a really cool look to have it is that's maintenance free it's a very now look very now look yeah that it is so here's a big question for you, you have a house now in stone harbor what are you planning on doing with that existing house selling it well we had talked about that but really it turns out that the rental market down there is 
so very hot that it makes more sense for us to keep it and turn it into a real estate venture from a rental standpoint. Extra income. So with the rental market down there that you're finding, when do you think you're going to be renting? What's the month that you're, you'll be renting through that? Are you looking for just the seasonal or the entire year? Well, I, there's certain months out of the year that I think it becomes a little bit more difficult. But with what's happening down in that area with the number of weddings and, and functions, the season has really become extended. It's probably going to be able to rent from mid-April to mid-October. That's a that's lot of not, income. That's not a bad season. It's not a bad season. Yeah. It's not a bad income yeah, either. Not a bad income. So, but yeah, at least we got an understanding of what people are doing down there because I see it a lot more and more. That's why I wanted to have you on because I see the whole Jersey coast has been revitalized. They're taking a lot of the older homes that are there and they're ripping everything down and really making everything new I think and you modern. I say that about the whole Atlantic coast right now, to tell you the truth. You know, you could, you could. But Delaware, just, North, North Carolina, South Carolina, all the way down to Florida. Yeah, I'm sure. I know Florida's I, going crazy. Well, Florida, the building all over the mm-hmm. place. But just from what I've seen, if I go down there to the Jersey coast, I've seen more and more of it with my rental property. So with that, I decided to uh, do a show on it because I want to have people understand what they're what's going on down there and how easy it is and how great it is to just have a new property when you can build something. And uh, cost-wise, pound for pound, it, it looks like everything's pre- pretty reasonable cost-wise for you. You're not overpaying for anything? I think the lot premiums in that area, uh, well, I, I, that area is, is, is unique in the sense that I, in the 30 years that we've been visiting that area, I've, I've never seen uh, a time when it's actually gone down. It's plateaued for some years, but it's never had a down period of time. Now, your, your existing house, the one that you're going to rent out, do you have any renovations to do in that house or is it ready, is it ready to go? Um, we have some uh, minor touch-up things. We're, we're probably going to paint it. Now, you talk about uh, homes that get torn down. That house was actually built in 1935 and renovated about 10 years ago. Wow. But it's, uh, it's one of the older bungalow beach homes, which is, uh, creates a lot of charm and character as well in the town. Yeah, that's what a lot of people would be looking for if they want to rent down there, I would, I would imagine. All right. Well, I, I thank you for doing this. I appreciate you coming on your Valuable Home Podcast, talking about your situation. And for our listeners going down there, uh, good luck with everything. And uh, if you have any questions, drop us an email at Kevin at yourvaluablehome.net and I'll answer them and get you on the show. Good luck with your new home and with your rental too. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Ron. I, I appreciate your guys' time. Take care, guys. Kev, we got another doozer of a horror story today, right? Yeah, that's correct. We are uh, from where we're at in Pennsylvania. We're going to be heading south. We're going to go to Nashville to talk about a horror story that uh, just happened, just got wrote in, and uh, a buddy of mine, Mark, is going. Horror stories actually happen in Nashville? No, no. Just I usually just see it around here, but yeah, they they do happen in Nashville and all over the country. So we've been uh, very fortunate that people are writing in, talking about it, and uh, (laughs) way to hear this one. So, Mark, thanks for coming back on and finding another problem so we can educate our listeners. You're welcome. So... (laughs) So this is the basic. Mark sends me a picture and goes, is this correct? And I, I, you're speechless when you see stuff like that. So why don't you explain to our listeners what happened? So I'm in the process of, uh, of swapping out all my windows and doors. I'm down to two doors. I decide to, you know, it's been 115 degrees here. So I'm decided, okay, you know what? Let's, let's take out a patio door. And uh, I removed the patio door prior to removing the drywall then remove the drywall to uh to make room for the new door when i discovered that the header was about nine inches too short i guess that's so normal. The, 
Yeah. I mean, the house didn't fall, so it must have been okay. Did you notice anything from the outside, like a sag in that area or anything? No. Huh. No, and that's, that's the part that wigged me out. Well, the problem is our house is brick on the outside. And although the bricks were put up poorly, they still had a, a lentil underneath the uh, soldier course. Okay. So nothing nothing looked out of place there. Uh, the door came out relatively easy. Um, but by the time I got the drywall off and feverishly made the new header and got everything prepped to go back in, I could definitely see the, the top plate was starting to sag. So clearly the door was, was doing all the work. Uh, it was an atrium door, so only one side opened. Um, and the side that didn't open was the side that the was structural. header was short on. It was, stru- yeah. it was, it was a structural element then. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I was able to, thank God I had help, I was able to quickly get a header cut and uh, put in place. So Did you have to jack the header up a little bit to straighten everything out, make it level? I did. I did, yeah. I mean, it, it. you know, the one side obviously was cut correctly, so I tucked it in that side, and then we were able to jack it up and get my... Uh, my studs on the right side it's in like place. The old so. Forrest Gump saying, "Like life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to find." <laughs> right? Ron, I mean, I know we're live, and I couldn't tell you some of the uh, explorations I used that that day. I mean, it was just what else? What else could possibly happen? I mean, I know I've been on the show many times for the same house, and it's it's crazy. I, it's like peeling back a rotten onion. How old is the house? So the house, the main portion of the house was built in 1971. There was an addition put on the back, which is what I was actually working on. That was done, we're thinking, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, and that contractors one, then, too. Oh, they were bad. Oh, yeah, I found, I couldn't tell you how many different, between code violations and just crappy work. Kevin, I remember sending you a photo of that as well. I had about eight main electrical lines that came out through the attic, through like a stud cavity between the rafters around the top plate and down into the wall. With a lot of splices, so, I believe. There were a lot of splices in there. Yeah, yeah there were a lot of splices that were right? hidden. Yeah. <laughs> it's dangerous. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of where we're at, but that, that patio door was installed about the same time the addition was. So it's been in there since late 80s, early 90s. Hmm. Yeah, we so. See, so basically, what for our listeners, uh, contractors put in the door, uh, found out that the door is going to be a little bit larger, uh, probably was running out of time or had no clue what he's doing, and put a two-by-four on its side cut the existing jack and king stud out, which is your end support of that header, and put the door in. So I, I look at it as, I, I, the, the only time I've seen this before, uh, was maybe about two months, two years ago, and we were on broadcasting, Ron, where somebody wrote in and they had a problem that the, the whole house was coming down, and because they, that's exactly what they did. But I don't understand why a contractor knowing, it, somewhat knowing, even a do-it-yourselfer would know this, that's structural. you <laughs> Your house can come down when you start cutting these things out. You just don't want to be cutting things out. Well, not only that, but the contractor's got a major liability there. If somebody gets hurt or killed in a situation like that, his, his career is sort of over. What if they're out of business? Or, I mean, yeah, how many times we, yeah. we see get started and a year and a half later when the economy turns because they they're not a successful company, they're out of business. So what's it do for the homeowner? Right. Now with you, And then people like myself who have, have the wherewithal to know what to do, but I wouldn't have known to cut that out. And if I wasn't replacing the doors, I would have never done anything. Yeah, window and door so, installation you, is not just put it in. You got to make sure there's the element around it. The structure has got to be in sound condition. Correct. Correct. Was that a correct. development house when it was built in '71? Yes. Go figure. Yes. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't like a one-off that somebody threw together. No, no. It's a. It's. A, I, I would say in my development, there's got to be. It's got to be close to 200 homes. I mean, it's not, they're, they're all ranchers. Most of them are all ranchers on 0.6 of an acre to an acre. So it's not, it's not a little development and you know, it's, it's sought after. I mean, they're going, 
they're going fast. Like yeah, Nashville, Nashville's a hot town right now. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, usually when you get yeah, these hot spot markets, that's when a lot of these new contractors come in and figure they can get a lot of work. And that's where people are, all the stuff shows up. Yeah, people buy a house. Yep. They're looking to redo it because the house is 20 years old. They're trying to do some things. They have no clue what they're doing, and this is what they do. Yep. And then the homeowner's got to put a lot more money out when they have this problem because if it's something I did, it, or have where I'm doing, say, your door, and I find that, it, it's going to be a lot more money then for the homeowner to pay for this situation because let alone it's not that it's jacking up the house I and mean, we would actually jack the whole house up to make sure the studs above were or the floor joists are in parallel position because yeah, there could next. be problems in the other, in <laughs> other parts next. of the house too right <laughs> that's next floors are next <laughs> oh wow oh no were they ceramic tile above there was any ceramic no or? no no okay, it was ahead. it was the back of the house but you know my floors are uh my, my rafters are um or floor joists sorry my floor joists are two by eights spanning 12 feet. Yeah. And, um, Is that big span it bounces a little bit. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, it bounces a lot. And it's like WWF. <laughs> when you see those uh, big wrestling, the match, they jump yeah. off, start bouncing. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what he's talking and about. It, prob- it probably wouldn't be as bad as if, if they did 12 inch on centers, but they did random. So some are 16, some are 13. I had in my, in my whole bath, I had one that was 20. Each each room we redo, we're actually cutting all the subfloors out, going they, right down to the floor joists and shoring everything up and putting new underlayment and subfloors now. I guess they didn't have tape measures back then in the eighties, did they? Well, you know, it's it's I look at it this way. I don't think folks in the seventies were, were as big as folks are today. You know what I mean? I mean like the average guy was probably hundred and sixty five pounds. I think I was well, in the I was yeah, in the fifth no, grade when I was hundred and sixty five. Actually he's probably right about that. People have gained yeah. a lot of weight. Well, here, so when you're walking on the floor, though, I always tell people the, the old china cabinets, which nobody has anymore. When that happens, what I always tell people, when you have these floor issues, the deflection weight, you hear your china rattling while you're just walking on it. You, you mm-hmm. just walk through it down here. What is oh, that? Yeah. I'm like, well, it's your floor yeah. bouncing. It's deflection load because the span's too much. Now, yep. if you had that availability, could you put like a, a sister, another two by eight next to it? That's what I do. That's what I've been doing. I've been one making sure they're all starting at 16 on center. And then I'm sistering every single one of them, whether I need to or not. Right, you're glue. You're, um, I recommend gluing each one and then doing yep. a, like a ledger lock to pull it together, so they're bonded yep. together to make it a lot stronger. What is a ledger? Yeah, in lock? addition to that, I'm actually bridging between them, kind of like you would when you build a deck and you do that bridging on. I'm doing that too. So ledger locks are big, long, heavy duty screws that work phenomenal. Yep. Okay, and then the bridging is in between. He'll turn and perpendicular put studs. Used it's fourteen and a half inches old. Floor joists are going to put in between it, so it just stabilizes the whole floor. So you see them this way going, and it looks like they're going the opposite way. So, so you're doing all this work yourself, right? You're fortunate because you know what you're doing. This probably Correct. would cost yeah. you a lot of money if you hired a contractor ha- didn't have the knowledge yep. to do it. Yeah. Hey, so, Ron, have you seen lumber prices? It is costing me a lot of money. <laughs> oh, everything, everything is up right now. <laughs> yeah, I know it. It's killing me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure it's a problem you didn't want to find, but you found it now you got to fix all these problems but at least i always think about this you're done and done right now exactly so imagine the homeowner exactly. said don't know this information or just starting listening to the show because they had a problem they're coming on telling about the horror story now they've got to fix that problem or they don't have a clue i mean su- supposing there's like an older uh, couple living in your development they don't have a clue about what home improvements are about or what's wrong they may find out when they f- the thing collapses or worse yep or worse yeah, you know, most of the contract I've been seeing, they don't really know what they're doing either. So maybe those older couple know more than that contractor. <laughs> I don't know. This is it, it's just more frustrating to me to see stuff like this because this is my business. And then when people see this, they're like, oh, you know, those contractors are real nasty people. They're telling me that they're doing this to homeowners. I'm like, yeah, I get it. 
But it also, it's a reflection on me. If I'm going to sell a job, I'm like, well, you know, we're a little bit leery about contractors. I, and I listen, I understand. I completely understand. But if you know what you're getting, and if that contractor explains exactly what you're doing, exactly what's going on, and walks you through step by step, and gives you a price ahead of time, because there's no reason they shouldn't be able to find something wrong. But if you do find a problem, what's it going to be? Now, that problem, save with the header, would say maybe about $1,500 for me. But if you do with anybody else, they could be charging them three to $5,000. So there's a lot more than just knowing. There's not more the the honesty from that contractor sure. to be able to give Absolutely. you a fair price. Absolutely. And that's what we do here at the show, to teach people that understanding that it's not price, it's not installation, yeah, sure it's if, all that. And if you looked at five contractors or three contractors in a situation like this, probably two of the three would take advantage of it. I, I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yep. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Just what I, and personally what I've seen just by the, the contract that I, seeing that some of the work that they did when I'm getting called in after to fix the problems. Yeah, it, it, it's not good. Yeah, this isn't good. But uh, hey, Mark, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, no, you're very welcome. Fixed. And uh, yeah, keep sending me more pictures. That'd be great. Good you luck. got it, man. I'll keep them coming. All right, guys, thanks uh, for doing the show, man. I really appreciate it. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Hey, Kevin here, installing another Provia entry door. I do about 50 or more a year. Schleg knobs, hardware, and handle sets make a great complement to any Provia fiberglass or steel entry door. Provia and Schlage, I think, are the best combination of curb appeal, style, and security money can buy in entry doors. And Schlage now has a complete line of Wi-Fi locks, including the new Encode Plus, which can be locked or unlocked with the tap of an Apple Watch. Amazing. Provia and Schlage, there's no better combination for entry doors. Okay, Ron, it's now uh, time for the feature segment. I believe it's part two of the real well, estate. Well, we got round. a friend. We got a friend of your valuable home one, Scott Abernathy. He'd been home before, and uh, we're going to get into two related topics that should be of interest to all listeners who either have or plan to acquire rental properties. What's the outlook for the cost of rental properties, and what will happen with rental income over, say, like the next twelve to eighteen months? Welcome back, a friend of your valuable home, Scott Abernathy, the most recent president of the National Association of Residential Property Managers. That's and the head of his own property management company, PMI Professionals in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I want to just let you know that we are doing something in late July and August, and you'll be in the second week of it called the Real Estate Roundup, going around the country, getting different perspectives on rental properties, getting different perspectives of different markets in California, Florida, Texas, and here in Pennsylvania and New York, too. So you're on deck. Here we go. Excellent. I'm thrilled to be back. Thanks for having me. There's some challenges ahead for residential real estate markets. Interest rates are climbing. Inflation is largely going unchecked. That unhappens soon. (laughs) And some economists are cautioning about the wild card, the big R word. We're going to ask you to go through some what ifs for the benefit of of our listeners who either currently own or are contemplating residential real estate. How do you see things developing through this year and into the next through NARPM, through the NARPM lens and then through the lens of your own company as well? Sure, absolutely. We're we're seeing some things settle down a little bit. Uh, the interest rates hikes that happened earlier this year, you know, where the the Fed bumped up you know, interest rates about seventy five basis points, but our long term rates for like mortgages and stuff went up two and a half percent just overnight. That had a big impact on the real estate industry in general, slowing a lot of things down. Everything from new construction to uh, resales, but some of it needed to be slowed down. As far as rentals go, though, they are still on fire. Uh, a lot of these people that were unable to qualify now because of that 2.5% uh, bump up in interest rates are now renting houses or continuing to rent. So, therefore, the uh, occupancy levels are super high, and rents have really gone up. They've gone up a lot. And this is across the board, uh, across the nation, but especially in the hot markets. Uh, 
We so, are seeing some stabilization, though, now as we speak here in the middle of the summer. And that's usually when we see the, the market get hotter, but we're seeing a little more stabilization now. Do you see the seller's market cooling off? I do. I find it interesting because I have been in the real estate business since 1989. And I'm watching like realtors run around just panicking. Oh, I put a house on the market and I didn't get an offer this day. You know, let's get back to reality, yeah. which is actually where we're going, yep. where, you know, it takes a month or two to sell a house or maybe three. And it's just kind of more normal. It's not time to panic. Uh, you know, the old saying, the best time to buy a property was 30 years ago. Second best time is right now. Think about it. I mean, years ago, it was when you think about realtors, contractors in the business, there wasn't as many realtors. I'm sure with this boom, the, the influx of real estate agents that have occurred in over the past what, two years now. Uh, it's probably double to triple. Do you think that could be a, another issue? Yes. Yes, sir. And that's not just anecdotal. Uh, I am also the president-elect of the Middle Tennessee Association of Realtors. We have the highest membership rate we've ever had right now. Somebody who is in the rental market right now, as Kevin and I are, both in Pennsylvania yep. and New Jersey, New Jersey, right? This is good news. If you are looking to get into the residential real estate rental market, Best time to buy was 30 years ago and today or now, right? Yes. And I think if I'm a young person uh, wanting to develop my real estate empire, I am going full steam ahead. I am absolutely. However, if I'm an investor, it's been around a little while, like myself, a little long in the tooth, has a little bit to lose, this, that, and the other. It might be a good time to keep some powder dry. We, I think we got some times changing. I think this uh, third quarter is going to be pr- going to be rocky. We got a roller coaster to go through in this third quarter. But after the elections happen in mid-November, I think November, December, and January, we're going to get back on the right track. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I wouldn't buy anything right now. Just sit sit back and see what's going to happen. And the yeah, election in November and is going to be a big deal, big factor. Well, that's what I'm waiting for the uh, Philly property, the, the property lost down in Philly that residual that I've left that people have been asking me, you get back into it. I'm like, well, I, I still need to feel the, which way we're going to be going. This whole thing is, is Scott, do you feel that? I mean, everything you're seeing, it's always changing, even though it's been on an increase over the past, say six months, eight months. Do you feel something where it's a little more rocky up and down, up and down, you're seeing a lot of changes and you don't really get a good grasp or know what's going to be in the next say six months. You're just kind of projecting. I think given especially the hot markets, like you've been mentioning, like Austin, Texas, Charlotte, North Carolina, here in Nashville, Tennessee also. Yeah, I think it's time to, or Huntsville, Alabama for that matter, uh, it's time to sit back and watch maybe for a quarter and see what's going to happen. With that being said, if you find a deal, buy it. I mean, probably every house I have ever bought, I thought I overpaid for. And I look back 20 years later, and even though I overpaid for it, it's made me a fortune. So I wouldn't worry too much about prices being high. Yeah, but what, think about the 20 years from now. Uh, so a young investor at 20 years from now, they're, they're going to feel the same way with they're paying the prices that they are today. Is it going to extend over even Ab- 30 years? Absolutely. Yes, indeed. It has yeah. in the past. It I mean, it still goes up, past, but it's just yeah. what's that length of time? Look what's happening in Jersey right now. There's no abatement to it. It just keeps going and going, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, correct. Well, recessions come and go, and they happen all the time. And in your hot markets, they weather them pretty well. In your very cyclical markets, your Californias, your Floridas, your Las Vegas, stuff like that, you might see, see a little bit of ro- roller coaster, but in your sta- more stable markets, I don't think you're going to see very much. If you really think about it, and since we've been keeping records across the board, residential real estate has only dropped in value of any consequence twice. And once was during the Great Depression, and the others the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, many of us are products of the Great Recession, so we're a little gun shot. Yep. I honestly don't believe that's going to happen again. Not in our lifetime, anyway. Well, you know, people uh, 
the R word, nobody likes the R word, but the fact of the matter nope. is there have been there have been 12 recessions since 1945. So it is a, it's a cyclical thing. It's built into the American economy. It's going to happen eventually. You're right. Real estate has weathered that storm 12 times already. And rental properties are very recession-proof. I know during the Great Recession, I had a pretty good-sized rental property inventory, but I was also developing real estate at the time. My real estate developments were crashing and burning. If I did not have my rental properties to help me out through it, I would have bankrupted. Uh, so I find rental properties to be very recession-proof. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean... Well, just during COVID touche. time, that's where I, I got hit a little bit when the rentals didn't have to pay. That's what took me out. Well, yeah, you ran into a bad situation there. Thank, thank goodness I have not had a similar situation. So, you know, here, Scott, as a, say like a novice or somebody like me that uh, not have a lot of money, but I, I do the investments and I want to do it. So I'm thinking over the past six months or a year, you have these big investment companies, somebody that with a lot of money, they're gobbling up everything because they know the, rental, the real estate market and residential of renting is always going to be hot. So if I wait, and we're talking about waiting, say, another six months after the election, uh, say the property values drop, am I still, you think, going to be competing against a lot of these big corporations that are gobbling everything up? I believe so. I believe what we're seeing is a new normal. And this really started back during the recession, when the Great Recession, when Warren Buffett looked up at all these foreclosures and said, if I could figure out a way to manage them, I'd buy them all. And somebody figured it out. Somebody figured out a way to do it. And that's exactly what they've done. They've decided they like the dance, and I think they're here to stay. So yeah. I, I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. It's probably the biggest challenge to a new uh, landlord trying to get in the business right now. The, the cap rates or your return on investment, cash on cash, that is, is not nearly as lucrative as it used to be. Yeah. On the other side of that coin, money's a lot easier to get than it used to be. So you kind of take the good with the bad. Well, that's what I'm trying to tell them. I said, when you got these big investment companies, it's a company. That company's going to be around for 60, 70, 80 years. You're not. So for you buying something that's going to be overpaid, when are you going to get that return on your investment? That's what I'm worried about. I really don't think you have to wait 60 or 70 years to make money in real estate. You're going to have to put a little down to make it cash flow. There's no doubt about it. But you hold on. You don't really need to hold on to anything more than five or seven years, even in a bad market, to recoup your investment and then some. Uh, real estate's a very forgiving uh, asset. If you overpay for it, it'll make itself back up. And The most recent seller's market made it tough for people in search of rental properties to avoid having to bid over asking. It was like, it was like the shootout at the Oak Corral. So with rising interest rates in particular, will that help create more stable buying scenarios, do you think? I believe it already has. Mm -hmm. I think it's time to keep your eyes out for deals. Now, they're not going to come right away, although it does amaze me how quickly this giant behemoth we call the real estate market just turns on a dime. So be on the lookout for deals now, because I think you'll start seeing them in the next quarter anyway. Okay. And will interest rates going up will be more people possibly going to be renting, right? Especially younger. So I don't know that the, I don't know that the thirty-year fixed rates, what what we like to call our interest rates in, in the real estate industry, or your fifteen-year fixed rates or arms or what. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot more increase in them. They really built in a huge increase earlier this year on seventy-five basis points from the Fed. I mean, it doubled, the long-term interest rates doubled. Now they've come back down a little bit since then. But I think they've kind of built a lot of this in already, so I don't think we're going to see a lot more. With all that being said, I mean, let's face it, folks, a 6% interest rate or a 5% interest rate is still very, very good. It's just not as good as it was. It's far from the days of 13 or 14%, right? 
my first one was 12.5% on a one-year renewable 15-year loan. It was nuts. We hope we don't see those no. days again. No. <laughs> those indeed, days are gone. Indeed. The dinosaur days. You hope so, yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of what I mean. Prices may be higher now, but money is easier to get for a new investor. When I started out, the prices may have been you could get cash flow, but you couldn't get money. So you kind of got to take the good with the bad. Now, the d- dynamics we're talking about, would they be constant across different parts of the country? No, no, real estate is very local. What's going on in Minot, South Dakota is nothing the same like what's going on in Tallahassee, Florida. The real estate markets are very local and you really need to know the market you're investing in. Is the corollary to that, if you are from out of town, do you need help in town from a broker who really understands that local market? So just don't go in and pull the trigger on something? Absolutely. I believe you need a trusted person, be that your agent a property manager, or I don't know, maybe you have a friend in the area that can understand the market. But you do need somebody that you can trust to help guide you if you're if you're investing in an out-of-town market. Now, you mentioned a hot market. A couple of markets have been hot from a rental perspective are Florida. <laughs> South Florida's going crazy. And South Carolina, the area around Charleston and um, that whole area is going crazy. What do you see ahead for them? The Sun Belt is going crazy. I find it interesting, those places, especially the coastal places, they come and go, and frankly, a lot of it has to do with weather events. I mean, people start running when hurricanes come, but they forget about them and they have short memories and, and go back. And let's face it, South Carolina and Florida, those are nice places to live, places, places people want to go. I had a real estate developer one time tell me about traffic when I started complaining about traffic, and he says, the only reason you have traffic is because that's where people want to be. If you don't want to have traffic, go where nobody wants to be. It's the same here. The reason those real estate markets are so hot, that's where people want to be. And if you don't have traffic, your rental income is going to go right, right down. down. Go south. You'll plummet. Yeah. We have uh, one available right now in this little tiny town called Flintville, Tennessee, that's been on the market now for two months when everything else is written in two days. So you, you, you have places where people want to be. That's where you want to be investing. Yeah, I learned that a while ago. A buddy of mine was in the uh, – he's still in it and, – and, it's all he does is buying properties, either commercial or residential, mostly commercial. And he said, listen, Kevin, you're ever going to get into this business. You've got to get a property where it's going to be more recession-proof. You've got to be in a hot spot. If you're in the middle of nowhere, somewhere far out, nobody's going to know about it, nobody's going to see it, nobody wants to live there, you're going to even have trouble renting the place. So if you want that dollar to be consistent, find something in a hot spot that's always going to be there. Where there's traffic. Yeah, where there's you need traffic. traffic. So Tra- that's it. Stores, it right? stores and, and, and uh, industry. Roofs. And yeah. industry. And industry. So yeah. People have jobs. Yeah. Absolutely. You guys mentioned the R word just a little while ago, and I'll just leave it at R word also. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, exactly. went, I went to a baseball game uh, with my son, Atlanta Braves. Go Braves. Uh, we uh, went to two games, and there were, I don't know, 40,000 people in these stands. We also went shopping at a local mall, and it was just jam-packed with people with full shopping bags. And my 25-year-old son looked at me and said, well, if this is what recession looks like, I ain't too worried about it. Yeah, true. I'm, I don't know that I don't agree with him. Uh, I tend to agree with him. I looked around and thought the very same thing when he said that. It's interesting how the mouths of babes can open your eyes. You know, the other thing that amazes me, I just came back from Aruba with to and fro Aruba not too long ago, and that airport was packed and largely with Americans. I mean, people from Europe go to Aruba too, but there's a lot of Americans there. So people are spending money to travel. They're spending money to do different things. They're spending money to shop. Well, do, do you think that's because two, two years ago they were held up in the house and didn't have to spend any money? Yeah, I think and, there's and, a lot of pent up demand still going on. People want to get you out and live do once. things. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they want to go out and do things. And cars. I mean, it's interesting look around our area, a lot of new cars. 
the short-term rentals also have been amazing. We manage short-term rentals as well. And it's interesting the transition it has really had over the last couple of, since COVID, you know, that in the whole industry was on life support in April of 2020 when nobody was going to the whole world was locked down and all these people with short-term rentals could, were making zero. And then all of a sudden, all these people that realized they could work from home realized they could also work from anywhere else. And they just start doing 30 days here, 30 days there. And you're still seeing a lot of that. Our short-term rentals are constantly filled with just people experiencing life. Do you have rentals outside of Tennessee or, or mostly in Tennessee? Yes, we got them in uh, North Alabama, out in Memphis. We got some in Mississippi as well, and then most of our, ours are in Middle Tennessee, though. Okay. So no cold states, right? No cold states. No, okay, that's just me though. I'm part of a franchise which is Property Management Inc., and we manage properties across the country uh, from sea to sunshine and sea. About 300 different franchises, and I'm not the only one seeing this. But you're right; the Sun Belt areas are where you're really seeing the the best results these days. Okay, people like the warm weather. And golf. And golf. And golf. And tennis. Tennis. Pickleball. What's your take on a residential investor taking on office space as a rental? Is that a little risky given the changing uh, mix of in-office workers versus people who want to work out of their homes and have more flexibility? This is a new opinion for me because I think that it is. And I really didn't think it would be before because corporate America sampled this before COVID, long before COVID. That were, they were sending people home, you know, Google and Apple and all of them, sending people home to work from home so they didn't have to, you know, pay their utilities and buy toilet paper and all this kind of stuff. And what they rapidly realized is people are just simply not as efficient at home as they are in coming to an office. So they kind of turned all that back around and brought them back, to, back into the office. And then COVID came, they sent them all back home again, and I really thought they would turn back around and bring them back to the office again. But I think you're seeing a real push from the workforce, which is limited, by the way, the workforce that's saying, you know what, I don't want to go to the office. And if you want me to go out of the office, I'm just going to work somewhere else. Uh, I think your, your labor force is ha- having a lot more say in this than they used to. And I, this may be a thing to stay, stay as well. I'm, I'd be a little fearful of office as well right now. Yeah, I, 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 and I would. Uh, I had the chance to uh, buy one, an office rental in Doylestown, which is the county seat in uh, Bucks County. I don't know, I just feel, felt a little bit uneasy about it. I passed on it, and I'm glad I did. Glad I did, because, you know, that, that's happening. My cousin's daughter works for an investment company in Philadelphia. She has not been home in the last year and a half. She's gone to Colorado. She goes to California. She's been all over the place, and she works out of her computer. That's it. And I think younger people enjoy that flexibility. The experience culture, you're exactly right. And there's also another phenomenon that we're seeing now as well. Are you familiar with the term halfbacks? Like a hybrid? I'm not talking about the football player. <laughs> I think more uh, of a hybrid. A half, you know, it's a halfback is, you know, you, you, you've heard of the, the snowbirds, the people that go from New York or up where you guys are at, and yep. they go down to Florida, and they move to Florida, and they talk about Florida being the new New York. Well, what they're realizing in Florida is it's just doggone hot. I mean, it's really hot in the summer. Oh, yeah. And you're seeing a lot of those that have moved to Florida from up in the uh, New England area or New York and in that area come what they call halfback. Like you mentioned that South Carolina market. The South Carolina market is full of halfbacks. Same with North Carolina, East Tennessee. I would really look at those kind of markets where the halfbacks are coming to. Hmm. How about that? Halfbacks. Yeah, good call on that one. 
Good call. Yeah, but so we're seeing a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing about buying in Florida, if you buy in Florida, yeah, you do use it during the winter. I'm sure you could be able to rent it out, you think, uh, in the summer months? Mm. Uh, yes, of course, it gets slower in the summer months. I, I'm, I'm more concerned about insurance in Florida. Every time I turn around, I see another insurance company that's bailing out of Florida, and I'm afraid it's going to wind up unaffordable for too long. Well, the rentals, the rentals. I mean, we we're paying, we're going back down in March next year, okay? The rentals yes. are way, way, way up. Okay, so I think I think that you know the heyday for Florida is going to start to pull back a little bit for the reason you just mentioned, and for the fact that people are just milking the market too much. You agree? I do. It's um, it's getting a little saturated. I worry about saturation in a lot of markets, like uh, well, Nashville also. All these really popular Austin, uh, Texas, Huntsville, Alabama. I mentioned all those are Charlotte, North Carolina. With that being said, you know, we keep adding inventory and we haven't seen saturation yet. Uh, we manage about a thousand units and we could still hold more. Let's switch gears a little bit. Can you give us a definition of the value of a residential property manager? Bottom line, headache relief. Your property <laughs> manager is your Tylenol. <laughs> he or she is the person that does the bad part of landlording. Um, what I've found is investors buy real estate for passive purposes. Now, a lot of investors also like DIY. Got it. I'm a DIY guy also. I like going out and getting my hands dirty, this, that, and the other. But I do not. And I say I do not. Most landlords do not like dealing with tenants when they call you for a toilet being not, not being a flush or their neighbors are too loud or or dealing with the insurance companies. All the day-to-day stuff that a landlord has to do usually comes out of left field. You know, they're, they're on cruise control, and all of a sudden, bam, they're back engaged in their, their rental property. These are the things a property manager takes care of for you. So I like to tell everybody that the property, a good property manager is headache relief. Absolutely, absolutely correct. I mean, I've got a good one in Philadelphia. They manage a lot of properties in Philadelphia. They're a little bit more money than the, than the guy I pay in uh, in Dalston and Bucks County, but both of them do an outstanding job for me. And you get these statements. Depending the on what you're year. doing, a land a property manager can make you more money too. Depending on what you're doing, absolutely. Uh, I'll give absolutely. you a good example of that I've got an, an older couple that I've been trying to solicit for some time, and I know them personally. They manage their own properties, and they're sweet. They're a super sweet couple. Only have a couple of properties. They're way under rented especially in this market, they're in for about half what they should be. And I just look at them. I say, you know what? I am not that expensive. I only charge, well, I guess I probably shouldn't say what I charge. But anyway, I'm not that expensive. I'm going to charge you a fee and I'm going to get you twice the money out of it. Plus all these other fees that I can get you from late fees, pet fees, all these other things. I can actually make people more money. But if you know what you're doing and you're a good landlord, a property manager is not going to make you more money. They're just going to take you those, take those headaches away. And the headaches, um, it's, that alone is worth it to me. Whenever I need aspirin or Advil, I'll pay whatever it takes to get it. Yes, indeed. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. What services do property management companies perform? Sure. They're day-to-day details on rental properties. Everything from meeting a tenant, screening. The tenant screening is probably one of the key things. You want to make sure your property manager does excellent tenant screening. There's no such thing as foolproof. Even property managers are going to have evictions from time to time. But the tenant screening is a big, powerful tool for it, for you that they can take care of. They will have systems in place, or they should have systems in, in place, where a lot of things are automatic. Everything from showing the properties, and a lot of times contactless, so you don't have to worry about things like COVID or monkeypox or whatever's coming up down the pipe next. 
Um, they'll have all these systems already put in place for you. The maintenance procedures will already be put in place for you. You're basically buying a business box. Whenever you buy a piece of rental property, you're not buying a house. You're not buying an investment. You're buying a business. And somebody has to run that business, and that's what the property manager is. Yep. Should a property manager be able to advise on how much you should charge for rent, a pet policy, how much should be escrowed and charged monthly for a pet, all those things, all those details, a lot of of details. Absolutely. And don't forget keeping you legal. Uh, Property manager should be able to keep you legal also. Everything from fair housing to the Landlord-Tenant Act in your area, which will be different in every area. You know, how much you can charge for a security deposit without breaking the law or who you can and can't rent to without breaking the law. Uh, These are big benefits also from hiring a a good property manager. I realize there are some that are just, you know, doing it on the side, but a good property manager and a good property management company will have all those uh, pieces in place. They should be able to advise you on what something should rent for. Uh, They absolutely should. That's a critical piece of information. You just hit a hot button for me because uh, I would I would bet that a lot of people who have rental properties who don't have property managers, if you mention the legal aspects to them and just ran through the laundry list that you just went through, probably don't have a clue. It is amazing the level of ignorance in the landlord community. They don't really understand what they've gotten into whenever they start providing housing for people. It is a big responsibility, and the government takes that responsibility very seriously. And there are so many traps you can fall into. People ask me all the time, should they learn to manage the property themselves before they hire a property manager, or should they just hire it on the, on the, on the come out? Well, the reality is, it's, I like the, the landlords that have come to me after they've been managing their own property, and I love the ones that have gotten in trouble, and I, I can bail them out. Because uh, I'm, you know, the the level of ignorance I can help them with, if that makes sense. But I also hesitate to let somebody step into a trap. You know, you step into a trap, and it can cost you quite a bit. So there's mixed mixed uh, emotions there whenever it comes to whether they should manage their own property first or hire 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 them on the come out. Okay, what's your best way, your best suggestion on how to evaluate residential property management company? Well, first thing I would do is go to uh, narpm.org. That's N-A-R-P-M, and that stands for the National Association of Residential Property Managers. There's about 6,000 of them um, across the country. I would start with the ones that have a designation. Those designations are those that have committed themselves to the education and knowledge and experience in the industry. And those designations are master property manager or the residential manager uh, management professional. But I would definitely look for a NARPA member first. If there's okay. no NARPA members around you, then you're going to need to get a reference from other folks um, uh, in the area, other landlords in the area. Up in your neck of the woods in the Northeast, NARPA is not nearly as uh, prolific, although it should be, as it is, say, in the Southeast or out West. Uh, but that's where I would, I would start. Otherwise, you want recommendations. Okay. All right. Are the cost of property management deductible as a business expense? Well, I'm not a CPA, so I'm not giving tax advice, but I'll tell you as best as I know, because I'm a landlord that does hire property managers also, and I deduct mine. And I deduct mine. And you deduct yours. Kevin's shaking his head here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can you offer a rule of thumb for making money with residential property? I, I mean, that's, that's a loaded question that you could go on for hours, but can you give us a rule of thumb? Boy, I tell you, are you talking about something like the 1% rule, like a gross rent multiplier? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. You know, I, that's how I started my career was on the 1% rule. And, and I used the 1% rule to weed out properties. If it wasn't doing at least 1% per month, wasn't going to generate a net, I mean, I'm sorry, gross of 1% per month 
of what the property, what I was going to pay for the property, I was moved on to the next property. The reality is you don't have that many choices anymore. There's just, the inventory is not there. And the 1% rule is kind of out the window unless you go to the uh, very class D, low C and class D properties, you know, parts of Memphis or Detroit or Birmingham, stuff like that. Uh, It's really hard to get stuff in that 1% rule. And then it's fictitious because the net will not be anywhere near where you want it to be. The cap rates these days, and that stands for capitalization rate. It's not exactly a return on investment, but kind of like it if uh, if you want to look that up. Depending on your market, you're probably looking at 4 or 5% cap rates these days, which is sad. It just means you got to put more down payment to make them cash flow. But the good news is they're appreciating very well. And I anticipate... A little stability coming up in the near future, but I still anticipate a lot of appreciation coming. Can we want you to be right, too? I've got a property in Philadelphia. And I'm, we're in a shootout, a legal shootout with the builder. I can't wait to get out of there. And I'm hoping I can get out with some appreciation after the building is fixed. So that's a nail bite. I have four of them in Memphis that I've had bullet, hole, bullet holes in. I hear you. Uh, but you know, I, I like a mixture of properties like that. As long as you have the staying power, those can be good properties also. Well, thank goodness. I, I still have yeah. a, a happy tenant in there. So yeah, I, I'm all of mine are cash flowing right now. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about your book. Is your book still hmm. on Amazon.com? My, it is still on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, they are uh, print ordered by one anytime. It's called Kingpin Landlord. And basically what I do in it is I go through eight chapters showing you how I make you, the landlord, more money on a rental property and what the things that I do to my properties to make them more profitable. It shows you exactly how to do it up to and including chapter eight, which shows you how to pick a good property manager, which happens to look just like me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so uh, for anybody who has rental property or is thinking about rental property, you've got to get that book. Where's it? Barnes and Noble on Amazon.com, right? It is on Amazon.com. And the older couple I mentioned to you, I made sure that they had copies of my book, but we'll see if they use it. Scott, this has been wonderful. As I said, you are the second up in our series on real estate and the Real Estate Roundup, and this is another home run. Your valuable home sounds good to me. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship. The Provia way. That's this week's podcast. Your Valuable Home comes to you every week on the new Pod City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 